Hey listeners, thanks for dropping in. I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. Welcome back to Barry Motives. Thanks for joining us today. We are excited that you're here. It's Hallmark Christmas movie time. I can't believe it's December already. I know. It's like one of my favorite times. It is a tradition to watch these cheesy feel-good movies at our house. I have one daughter that loves them and one son that can't help but roll his eyes and make sarcastic comments all the way through them. <laughs> but he still watches them. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think he just watches <laughs> them to annoy his sisters. Because this inevitably always leads to a disagreement between the two of them. And honestly, for me, it just wouldn't feel like Christmas without that squabble. <laughs> it's part of the family tradition at this point. It is. But I am right there with my daughter. I love these feel-good movies that are so predictable. Figuring out the plot line within the first few minutes gives me a sense of comfort that everything is predictable and happens as it should. And everything's going to turn out A-okay. That's right. There aren't any big surprises or shocking plot twists that ruin the endings. It's just this nice, sweet feeling of Christmas spirit and the end credits roll. It's true. As much as I love my thriller kind of movies and that kind of thing, I myself enjoy a good Hallmark movie. It's what I like to watch when I'm wrapping my presents. I just love it. And that Christmas spirit should have been how the Waukesha Christmas Parade ended two years ago. Oh, it should have been a time of cheer, with family and friends and neighbors gathering to enjoy the festivities, encouraging each parade entry as they wound their way through the streets of Waukesha, Wisconsin. I can still recall the joy of attending Christmas parades in my hometown as a child, bundling up from the chill, catching the candy being thrown from the floats, and excitingly waiting to see Santa. I don't think I've ever been to a Christmas parade. No? No. Oh, that is shocking. I have no recollection of a Christmas parade ever. I know my grandma would take us kids to a breakfast with Santa, I think at the bay. But no, I don't remember ever going to a parade for Christmas. Oh, like I distinctly remember my nose getting cold and waiting and being so excited and trying to pick up the candy canes from the street with my mittens because oh. it was just so difficult. Hmm. I think I need to go to a Christmas parade. You do. Hopefully there's still time. <laughs> The atmosphere is just incredible. Everybody's being nice to each other and wishing everybody a Merry Christmas. And it's just awesome. Yeah, I can picture it. <laughs> like in a Hallmark movie. Exactly. <laughs> and that was the atmosphere in the growing city of Waukesha. The parade had been canceled the year before because of COVID. So people were especially excited to take part again in this time-honored tradition. Today, we're going to talk about that fateful day when Daryl Edward Brooks Jr. displayed a total disregard for human life on a scale that we rarely cover on Buried Motives. Thank goodness. Yeah. That day, he chose to drive his mom's SUV through the middle of the Waukesha Christmas Parade. This dirtbag is well known in the media. His trial was being covered at the same time as the Depp Heard case, and many tuned in to watch his bizarre behavior that he displayed as he represented himself during the trial. Oh, man. That he is a dirtbag was well established over and over again on national television through his conduct. Many of you have probably seen the yelling and the disrespectful attitudes he displayed towards the court and its officiants. 
Many have probably shook their heads in disbelief as he made long-winded circular arguments about irrelevant facts and made objection after inappropriate objection. He claimed that the court had no legal jurisdiction to try him because he had never agreed to follow the laws of the state of Wisconsin. What? You can't charge me because I didn't promise I wasn't going to do it? Yeah. He tried to claim that his trial was unconstitutional because he couldn't call the plaintiff, the state of Wisconsin, as a witness, and therefore it violated his Sixth Amendment rights. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He tried a wide range of tactics to defend himself, and when nothing worked, he escalated his behavior. There are very distinct patterns during the trial that whenever Daryl didn't get his way, his body language and gestures would get increasingly bigger and his voice got louder and louder. And the more the judge tried to shut him down, the more his behavior escalated. As we talk about Daryl's past today, it will be very clear that this is a pattern that Daryl had used throughout his life. Oh, it had worked for him. Mm-hmm. When are people going to understand that just because you raise your voice, it doesn't make what you're saying more true? Well, Daryl certainly hadn't figured that out. In the courtroom, what would start as cold, hard, unbreaking stares towards the judge to convey his displeasure would soon escalate into one-sided screaming matches when she wouldn't be baited. (laughs) On multiple occasions, the judge had to set him up with video conferencing in a different courtroom so that the trial could just continue without interruptions. And she would even mute him so that he couldn't interrupt anymore. I was just going to ask if she put him on mute. She did. And they would give him a sign because remember, he's representing himself. She would give him an objection sign so that she would know when to unmute him. (laughs) She sounds like a rock star, honestly. Oh, she definitely was. Her patience had to have been tried. Yeah, her patience is legendary as she repetitively keeps her cool through his tirades and ramblings. She goes over and above to provide him with opportunities to make good impressions on the jury. Something that seems completely lost on Daryl. Ugh. Like he shows up in court on the first day of the trial in his orange jumpsuit. And she gives him several opportunities to go back to his jail cell and change because they try to hide the fact that you're in jail at that time because it's innocent until proven guilty. And if you're wearing your jumpsuit, you look like a criminal. That's right. So she tries to tell him this and explain this to him. And he's like, it's my right to wear whatever I want. And she's like, okay. She had to sit back and watch him shoot himself in the foot. Yeah. How could she have not gotten a little bit of pleasure out of that, to be honest? Oh, no. Dealing with this guy is not pleasurable in any way. Because over and over, he would just continuously interrupt her. At the start of the day, she would keep a tally of how many interruptions he had. And when she reached a certain amount, she would send him off to the other courtroom. (laughs) That's where I mean having that little bit of pleasure when he is shooting himself in the foot, being like, I tried to help you, but you dummy. Yeah. Over and over again, this happens, sometimes more than once a day. And a lot of the time, the jury would have to be taken in and out of the courtroom as Daryl was once again escorted to another courtroom because they couldn't show him in shackles. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Many believe the reason why Judge Darrow was so accommodating of Daryl's outburst and afforded him beyond what he was entitled to was because she was mindful of the possibility of a mistrial or appeals being made that would allow Daryl to evade justice for his actions. This was a concern because Daryl had a long-standing history of personality disorders and mental health issues. His behaviors left many believing that he must be crazy. But as we discuss this case today, I think you will find that it was very much the opposite. Instead, his behaviors were learned patterns that were crafted over time to manipulate the world around him to best suit his own needs. 
These patterns are what caused him to do the unthinkable. Daryl Edward Brooks Jr. was born on February 2, 1982, in Detroit, Michigan. He was the younger twin born to Don Woods and Daryl Edwards. His father was an abusive alcoholic that beat his mother. His father didn't stick around for long periods of time, and Daryl would later say that his mom was stuck with raising him and his sister Ebony alone. It seemed that Daryl Sr. had fallen far from the example of his own parents. Both of his parents were strong community activists that worked to reform Detroit's east side. His father was a nationally acclaimed spiritual activist that had received the Point of Light Award from President Bush and was the subject of a documentary for the work that he had done in Detroit. Daryl Sr.'s mother, too, was awarded the same honor by President Bush for her contributions as well and served as a minister for over 47 years. Daryl's grandparents were definitely in the business of helping others, and it appears that they had soft hearts, especially towards the needy and underprivileged. And it was their son who was abusing Daryl's mother and family. Yes. Daryl's father seemed like he was the black sheep of the family. Definitely not cut from the same cloth by the sounds of it. No. And it sounds like he may have taken advantage of his parents' soft hearts. Sometimes a soft heart can leave a manipulator with too many excuses for their actions. Mm. When they did put their foot down, Daryl Sr. moved his family away from his own family. As a young boy, Daryl and his family moved from Detroit to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, away from his grandparents' daily influence. The family's situation deteriorated as alcoholism and domestic violence continued and spilled over to the children. Bipolar disorder did run in Daryl's paternal side of the family, but it's unclear if Daryl's father also suffered from mental health issues. It is clear from his arrest records that he was a sexual predator and that his violence extended past his immediate family members. Ugh. He showed little respect towards women and was described as having erratic moods and was known to use cocaine and other drugs in addition to alcohol. Ooh. The situation that the children grew up in was not a stable one. Their impoverished circumstances had them living in neighborhoods that were full of drugs and prostitution. Daryl describes as a child living in apartments infested with bugs and rats and never feeling safe and always being hungry. His mom eventually did leave his dad, but a lot of damage had already been done. Daryl as a child was difficult, and it's really not hard to imagine given the environment that he was growing up in. But even as a child, he had an impulsive and emotional temperament. At an early age, it became clear to his mom that Daryl needed more help than she could provide. At the age of 11, he was assessed to have bipolar disorder and depression. Nowadays, this diagnosis is made a little more cautiously in children so young because of the crossover and confusion that can happen with personality disorders versus mood disorders. I found this pretty interesting because in Daryl's case, later he would be diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder. I'm no psychologist and don't claim to be any expert. But this is one of the deep dives I did while researching this case. What was the difference between mood disorders and personality disorders? And this deep dive happened because it seemed to have a big determination on Daryl's culpability for his crimes. While mood disorders and personality disorders can share similar traits, they are very different, and the treatment is very different. Personality disorders often have extremely intense emotions that can shift rapidly from negative and depressed to elated. These rapid shifts in emotion are often caused by an event. When the person becomes triggered, their reactions are usually disproportionate to the situation and very impulsive, 
and sometimes seem even almost contradictory because they cannot manage the intense emotions like rejection or anger. Rejection sensitivity is often very intense. Rather than feel those emotions, an individual with a personality disorder will create coping mechanisms that discharge that emotion. These coping mechanisms are different for different people, but a pattern can be seen in those commonly implemented. Self-harm, substance abuse, sexual promiscuity are all calming coping mechanisms, and at the base, they are a way for that person to try and deal with their emotions. Personality disorders are rooted in the way a person thinks, and biology, and are always present. Bipolar can have shifts in mood from depressed states to states of elation, but the swing is often more random and less related to an event. There can be periods of reprieve when the person can function without any symptoms at all. Bipolar conditions are more rooted in biology. To make it even more confusing and difficult to diagnose, people can have both. Getting the diagnosis right is really important because treatment is different. As everyone knows, having control over our emotions and our impulses have a huge effect on how we relate to others. Both disorders have difficulty maintaining relationships and support systems and often have addictions, trouble with the law, and suicidal behaviors. This would be Daryl's roadmap for life. At the age of 12, Daryl was hospitalized, medicated, and then released. This pattern would continue throughout his adolescence. Both Daryl and his family members would say that when Daryl was admitted to mental health facilities and was medicated, that his behavior improved. But these stays didn't last long, and the treatment would be interrupted when he was released. When at home, Daryl found different ways to cope by using drugs and alcohol, and found ways to behave that put him in control of a situation. And I imagine being in control of the situation would become paramount to Daryl because it meant he didn't have to be the inferior person to anyone else, or at the mercy of them inflicting emotions that he could not handle. That's a lot for one child to experience starting at age 11. It is. It also gives him a long time to develop his own personal coping mechanisms and traits of how he deals with it. And it doesn't sound like he's doing that in a very healthy way at this point. No, not at all. Daryl developed a self-important attitude that allowed him to disregard others' feelings. At the base, the projection of his wants and needs above others allowed him to squash feelings of perceived rejection and any shame that he might feel. Both of these emotions were very intense and not ones that he was capable of managing. So because of his personality disorders, he had poor emotional regulation. And so how he manages that emotional regulation is to always be in control of a situation. And you can never always be in control of every situation. So you're setting yourself up for big disappointments and failure. Right. But as he matured, he learned how to use his behavior to his advantage. And what began as a front to protect himself as a child seems to take on a life of its own and morph into a monster with no thought of others that attacked all in his path when he felt threatened or didn't get his way. This is not a good situation. No. His mother claims that when Daryl reached adulthood, any support that they were given to help him for his mental health problems dissolved, and he was no longer able to get treatment. Well, that is sad. It is. Unfortunately, it's a reality for a lot of people. So Daryl continued perfecting his own coping mechanisms. When he couldn't manage an emotional outburst, he learned ways to deflect the rejection or the shame that would inevitably follow by becoming a masterful manipulator. Daryl became very effective at selling sob stories to elicit sympathies. He plays the victim when others point out his behaviors as inappropriate, 
and tries to get the other person to believe that he is at the disadvantage, giving them an excuse to justify his behavior. I believe his father modeled this same behavior. Oh, yeah. And his grandparents were susceptible to it because they were nurturing people. Yeah, they were good people who wanted to genuinely help. They came from a good place. Mm -hmm. So if you take someone like that and then a couple of manipulators, it's like a feeding frenzy. Right. And it just reinforces the behavior because the manipulator gets away with it. And then they feel like, oh, I can do it again because it works. That's right. Even if subconsciously. Exactly. Playing the victim was a common tactic that can be seen in the 2007 documentary that Daryl took part in during one of his periods in jail called Crystal Darkness. The interviewer eats up the act and later said Daryl, quote, seemed very genuine in his desire to turn his life around. I suspect playing the victim was a common one that he used with his mother. It would have been easy to pull on her heartstrings because she was aware of his childhood and his difficulties. He could then use these sympathies to avoid reprimand or punishment. He would have an irrational emotional outburst and then twist it back on another person like it was their fault. Gaslighting became a coping mechanism for him. He became very proficient at debating and twisting an argument, convoluting it so much that the reason the argument started was lost or the other person was so turned upside down, they would feel that they were responsible for the thing that Daryl pushed off on them. He would emotionally wear down the person with his aggressive, loud behavior, confusing his victim with evasive and vague language, hoping that they would just give in to his way. He's a bully. A huge one. Yeah. When the gaslighting wouldn't work, he would escalate his intimidation tactics. Violence was often the result when Daryl didn't get his own way. He would then feel the need to forcefully impose his will. All of these tactics can be seen in Daryl's convictions prior to November 21st, 2021. Sadly, they worked for him, so he continued to use them on his family members, on friends, and on prosecutors and judges. His tactics and his criminal behavior went pretty much unchecked by the law and even were enabled at times by family members. Unchecked, he became emboldened to use these tactics over and over again. And really, that's how any animal learns how to survive. If it works for you, you do it again. I'm going to briefly go over his past convictions. They are lengthy, and they'll probably get you a little bit riled. But I think it's important to see just how many times his manipulative tactics worked for him. He just sounds like the most dangerous type of person. He is, and we'll see that with his final crimes. Daryl's conviction started at the age of 17. In 1999, he was charged with substantial battery with intent to inflict bodily harm a Class E felony punishable by up to 15 years in prison. That was his first offense. He pleaded guilty, and the judge, feeling sorry for him, sentenced him to three years probation and just six months in the House of Correction. What? Mm -hmm. Why do we feel sorry for people like this? We can understand them, but don't give them a slap on the wrist. Well, they're just so good at playing the victim. But like you said, then that's reinforcing his behavior. That's right. And that's a Pretty substantial first offense. That's not a petty little theft or something. No, it gets worse. His second offense in 2002 was the possession of THC, which he received 50 days for. Almost as soon as he was released on that charge, his third offense for resisting an officer took place in early 2003. Despite the previous drug conviction and the fact that he was still on probation from his first conviction, he was sentenced to only 20 days. Ah. 
Oh, what's the point of probation then? You'll keep thinking that throughout this case. These all seem like pretty minor offenses in light of what he goes on to do. But the punishment that he received for them did not act as a deterrent. Instead, they just emboldened him to continue with his behavior. Intermixed with all these offenses during these years, Daryl had become a father. He quickly abandoned his first son when he was only three months old. But this didn't stop Daryl from using the fact that he was a father to add depth to his sob story. When he was in front of judges, he would relate that all he wanted to do was be the father that he had never had. Hard to be when you're not around at all. Yeah, you abandoned that baby when he was three months old. But for Daryl, this just added another aspect to his life that he would exploit to gain sympathies. In 2005, he was once again charged with resisting or obstructing an officer, and he was freed on a $300 signature bond, which is pretty much a promise to return to the court for trial. He didn't bother showing up. A bench warrant was issued, but the dirtbag Daryl had already taken off to Nevada where his dad lived. His dad still had not gotten his act together and was not the greatest influence for Daryl, who said he had moved to Nevada to have a fresh start. No, you were evading the law. Exactly. (laughs) But that's how he viewed his world. Right. Mm -hmm. Oh, I've made such a mess here. I better up and leave and just start fresh. Exactly. Making a new mess. Remember, just because it's Daryl's truth doesn't mean it's the truth. True. During Daryl's time in Nevada, his dad would be charged with making bomb threats to the Nugget Casino and threatening to rape the housekeeping staff there. What? Mm -hmm. Was he losing really bad? And that's why? No, he had previously worked there. Oh. Later, his dad would be charged with statutory sexual seduction. Despite telling a later judge that his mom had tried to raise him right, it was clear that Daryl was following in his father's footsteps. Daryl chose to make his fresh start in Nevada with a 15-year-old in 2006. What? Yeah. How old was he at this time? He was like 23. Ugh. Gross. Yeah. He claims they met while he was, quote, pimping, and she was, quote, hoeing during a threesome event. Give me a break. When the girl became pregnant and the relationship resulted in a statutory sexual seduction charge, Daryl claimed that the minor, Erica, had said that she was 18. Yeah, I don't believe you. Well, there are some social media posts that do substantiate his claims. She was putting it out there that she was 18. Okay. But once he found out that she wasn't, he still continued a relationship with her. Oh, yeah, that's total dirtbag move. Mm -hmm. And he should have been held accountable, but that wasn't in the cards. He told the judge that he was trying to be a good father and that he had had a difficult childhood. Originally, he pleaded guilty and his only punishment was a do not contact order. Of course, he wasn't about to have anyone in authority tell him what to do. He repeatedly reached out to Erica using a stolen phone card and then confronted her at a bus stop. So this is after he knows she's a minor, but he doesn't want to be told what to do. And so he's still going after her. Exactly. And all this talk about, oh, I want to be a good father. Do you even remember your kid's name? You haven't seen him since he was born, really. Yeah, he was not present in that child's life at all. Ugh. Daryl was taken to jail for the violation, but only served a very little amount of time. Once he was released, he headed back to Wisconsin in 2008. There, he kind of faced up to his outstanding resisting arrest charge that he had skipped out on previously. By posting a measly $100 bail and then was told to report to the trial again. Of course, he skipped out again. Why would they only give him a $100 bail when last time he paid $300 and still skipped out? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense, but all of his sob stories are working on these judges. 
And so they just continue to reinforce his behavior because they're rewarding him by giving him these little tiny sentences. Yeah, he got less bail than he had to pay earlier after skipping out. Mm -hmm. It should have been increased threefold, not decreased by that amount. Exactly. When he skipped out the second time, another arrest warrant was issued, and he was again picked up and sentenced, this time to two days in jail. Oh, the poor guy. Yeah. He was also ordered to pay a fine, which he never did. Was it $30 this time? (laughs) But we can see how it's just reinforcing his behavior. Why do we let people fall through the cracks like this? It's so infuriating, Mm -hmm. especially knowing what he's going to escalate to do. Mm -hmm. He continues to escalate. In 2010, Daryl was charged with felony strangulation and suffocation and misdemeanor counts of battery and criminal damage to property in Wood County. I believe this was against another one of his partners. It is clear that his violent ways are increasing. And so is his opinion of himself. The only thing that wasn't increasing were the sentences he was getting. For trying to strangle and suffocate another person, he received 90 days of jail time with work release. What? And three years probation. So he just got a warm bed at night Mm -hmm. after being able to go to work all day. Yeah. 90 days. So this partner's life, the attempt of taking her life, was worth 90 days. Mm -hmm. What are they thinking? It doesn't make any sense. It's a complete joke. He would end up having his probation revoked for this charge and spend 11 months in prison because a year later, in March of 2011, Daryl escalated his behavior to include his vehicle. When an officer tried to pull him over, he resisted arrest for a third time. During a traffic stop for not wearing his seatbelt, he turned his car on, shifted it into drive, and started to drive towards the officer. Oh, The officer jumped in the car because he believed that he was about to be ran over. The officer had to fight for control of the vehicle as Daryl tore away from the scene. For this offense, Daryl was freed on a $1,000 signature bond and spent only 37 days in prison. That's so surprising, especially attempted murder on a police officer. You would think they would come down much harsher. Right. But if you watch his conduct during these trials... He is just erratic and escalated. Which should have proven how dangerous he is. Because if you're doing that in court, what are you doing when there's not a judge and all these officials watching you? You're going to be 10 times worse. And that is what makes this case so frustrating to me, is that they knew his behavior was escalating. They knew he could not control himself, and yet they continually release him. Right. It's like a little toddler who has an issue with biting. When they bite you on the arm, You don't give him your other arm to bite, too. You have to teach them that it's not okay to bite. That's not what Daryl is being taught. That year, he also continued to rack up drug charges as well. In 2014, Daryl tried to launch a music career as an underground artist that spoke out against social injustices. Oh, of course he did. It wasn't very profitable for him, and he found himself in his late 30s still living at home with his mom and his nephew. Did you listen to any of his music? Yeah, it's pretty degrading. Oh, At this time, he had three different children by three different women and was mostly relying on others to support them, if he had any contact with them at all. Okay. By the time he goes to jail for what he does at the parade, he has one more baby as well. And okay, you can have different babies from different moms, but not taking care of any of them is the real issue. Well, and the fact that he uses his children enrages me. Yeah. Even though he doesn't take care of them, he uses their existence to benefit himself. 
Right, when he's just a deadbeat dad. Yeah. In 2016, he was charged with failure to comply with Nevada's sex offender registry because he hadn't updated his address when he moved back to Wisconsin. He skipped bail on those charges as well. By this time, he was probably feeling like he didn't have to answer to anybody. He had the whole world figured out, at least his skewed version of it. And that can definitely be seen in his rap videos that he posted under the alias Math Boy Fly. Math Boy Fly? Yeah. In July of 2020, Daryl had an altercation with his nephew and his nephew's friend at his mom's house. It was all over a cell phone. But true to Daryl's personality disorder, he flew off the handle and shot at his nephew as his nephew fled from the confrontation in his friend's car. What? Mm-hmm. Pulled out a gun and shot at his nephew. Yes. Over a phone. Exactly. That's his impulsive decision-making skills. Right. Okay, so if he can't control these impulses, why the heck is he on the streets? He shouldn't be. When officers came to arrest him, he still had the stolen 9mm Beretta handgun on him, along with a baggie of meth pills. For the first time, Daryl was given an appropriate amount of bail of $10,000 for his two counts of second-degree reckless endangering safety and the illegal possession of a firearm. He was facing up to 10 years in prison. But by this time, Daryl had picked up a few argument points over the years and demanded a speedy trial. The Wisconsin courts were not able to grant this in February of 2021 because of the COVID backlog. So Daryl was released on a $500 bail three weeks later. No! He went from having a $10,000 bail to a $500. Oh, I hate when this happens in the justice system. Uh Uh-huh. He literally tried to kill a minor, a child. His own nephew. Yeah! And okay, $500. We're a little busy because of COVID. We're a little backed up. So hmm, who should we let go? Oh, this guy. He's a sex offender and just tried to murder a, a child. Let's let him go. Yeah. Where's the logic in that? There's no logic. Daryl had learned to manipulate the court systems. Oh, absolutely he had. He had them literally wrapped around his little finger. Mm-hmm. He knew to ask for a speedy trial and that they couldn't deliver. But then why would that equate to them lowering his bail? Oh, it shouldn't have. No, they should have kept it. Mm-hmm. And then he wouldn't have been able to get out. Right. But at only $500, his mummy paid for him. Oh, my goodness. Even though he had been ordered to have no contact with her or any other family members because of this exact same incident. And this is her grandchild that he tried to kill. Yep. I am sorry if any of my children try to kill my future grandchildren. I'm not paying your bail. No, you need to be accountable for it. And how would you not even be fearful of him? If he's going to be willing to shoot at his nephew, would you feel safe around him? Would you want him back in the situation to be around his nephew again or others? We will talk a little bit more about Daryl's mom later on, but I think those are all valid points. Like I get, okay, it's your child. We love our children. More than anything, but I'm just having a hard time understanding why you would pay it when he tried to kill your grandson. Right. At points during his trial, I honestly feel that his mom's behavior is a result of her unwillingness to fess up to her own responsibility in creating this monster. Mm. Well, she's probably been manipulated into believing that it's everybody else's fault as well. And she feeds that to Daryl. Yeah, poor Daryl. He's had it so rough Mm -hmm. that he got so upset he actually shot at his nephew. Well, how dare the nephew? Right. He had to be taught a lesson. Mm -hmm. I think it just all kind of wraps up into 
the dysfunctional relationships that exist when you have somebody with a personality disorder. But just because you have a personality disorder does not excuse the behavior. It doesn't, but I think it creates an atmosphere where people will excuse the behavior, which then just reinforces the behavior. Yeah, and at the expense of everybody else around you. Exactly. You can't go around trying to strangle people and shoot people just because of your disorder. Right. And I feel like his mom was probably too close to this situation to be objective, but the court system was not. No, but they're just letting him off the hook as well. They are. Don't they look at their background? Shouldn't that be a thing to look at it collectively? Like, oh, look at all of this. We let him out here. He was back the next day. Look at this. He was back the next week. And escalating in his behaviors. They should be looking at it. And there does come a point in time when they absolutely have that report in hand and choose to ignore it. Wow. And that's where I feel like if you're going to do that and when you're in that position of power, maybe some of that responsibility is on your shoulders as well. Because past behavior is a prediction of future behavior. So without any kind of plan in place to help him, how could they ever expect a different outcome? How could they believe that there would be any change in his behavior, that he would not be right back there with the exact same thing? I think that it comes, though, with a lack of their acknowledging that his personality disorders led to his erratic decision making. Okay, regardless of that, throw the personality disorders totally off the table. This is still a criminal that keeps coming back consistently with escalated behavior. So why even without that would you feel that, oh, I can let them go and they're going to now learn their lesson? I do not believe for one minute that they believe that he would not be back. And that's at the expense of victims. A lot of victims in this case. Right. Daryl was clearly escalating, and it seems like people were not paying attention to that. His relationships were a place that he was escalating even quicker. Daryl and Erica, the minor that he had the daughter with, had continued to have an on-again, off-again relationship over the years. And in 2020 and 2021, they started to have more interactions. They had gotten together under sketchy circumstances, and that is the way the relationship continued. Both struggled with lifestyle choices. In May of 2021, Erica was living in the state of Georgia with her mom when she agreed to meet up with Daryl at a motel in Union City. The meeting did not go well, and in the emotionally charged situation, Daryl once again flew off the handle and started to beat Erica. He was arrested for a misdemeanor battery with a designation of family violence. He was released on yet another signature bond and fled the state and returned to Wisconsin the very next day. He had convinced the judge that Erica was the crazy one and that he had just been trying to defend himself. After that, somehow he convinced Erica that moving in with him at his mom's house would be the solution to her problems and their relationship issues. Her mother had just died and she was struggling to take care of her children, according to him. This situation didn't last long, though, because the two of them were volatile together. Eventually, Erica was made to leave, and she took up residence at a woman's shelter in Waukesha. And what I think is so interesting about this is Daryl's mom firmly sided again with her son over the well-being of her grandchild. Yeah, I don't understand it. Even as a parent, you have to realize that sometimes coddling your child is harming them, not helping them. She thought she was advocating for him. Daryl and Erica had limited contact over the summer, but met again on November 2nd, and again, Daryl's temper flared into violence. He met up with Erica in Milwaukee's Lenox Heights neighborhood. Daryl struck Erica, and when she fled, he went after her in his vehicle. He caught up with her about a half a mile from the motel at a gas station. 
He demanded that she get into the vehicle with him. When she refused, he struck her in the face, causing her to fall to the ground. Then he ran over her with the SUV. <gasps> a man at the American Inn Motel had called the police when the altercation had started, and when they arrived, they found Erica with a swollen lip, a bloody face, and tire tracks on her left pant leg. She had a fractured ankle and a dislocated femur. In her original report to the police, she said that this wasn't the first time that Daryl had threatened to kill her, saying that he was a jealous and controlling man. Daryl was arrested on felony counts for second-degree recklessly endangering safety and bail jumping, as well as misdemeanor charges of resisting or obstructing an officer and domestic abuse battery and disorderly conduct. While incarcerated, Daryl tried to use intimidation tactics to try and get Erica to drop the assault charges that she had filed against him, trying to convince her that it was all her fault because she had been drinking. He told her it was now all her fault that he was now in trouble with the law. Oh, excuse me, sir. She didn't make you get in your vehicle and run her over or punch her in the face. But he is just so caught up in his own little world. He can't even see her side of the story. Well, I think he believes the gaslighting that he does. Mm -hmm. He believes full heartedly that it's their fault and they made him do it. Oh, he totally believes that. Right. Because nobody's called him out on his crap. Ugh. The story that he told Erica was the same story he told police. And like you said, was one that he believed himself. During this visit with her in jail, he tried to bribe her with marriage if she agreed to drop the charges. What? Mm -hmm. Honey, you ain't nothing on this table. What? Yes. You tried to like mow me down. And now you think marrying you is some sort of prize that's going to get me into not pressing charges? Please tell me she didn't go for that. No, she didn't at all. Oh. Even with Daryl's mom later getting involved, trying to persuade her that it was the right thing to do. Yeah, honey, you should marry my son. I promise he'll only run you over three more times and only beat you every other Tuesday. No, get out. And what's hilarious, I find, is that Daryl does this all while he's in prison, talking over the prison phones. They're all recorded. Ugh. But what would he care? The officials are his little BFFs. Well, it did seem that way because Daryl didn't even need to worry too much about Erica turning down his offer because it turns out the judicial system had his back. When he went in front of the judge on November 5th, 2021, not only did he face all of his current charges, but his charges for shooting at his own nephew were still active. The judge also had a pre-trial risk assessment of Daryl that said he was a fairly high risk for release. Factors cited in his score included that he was charged with a violent crime while he was out on bail for a prior charge, and that he had been convicted and incarcerated for earlier violent crimes. The report also noted Daryl had been diagnosed with serious and persistent illnesses in which he was not receiving treatment for. With all of this information, the assistant district attorney at the time recommended that the bail be set at $1,000. Oh... And the commissioner agreed. He shouldn't even have bail at this point. Dawn came to the rescue of her son yet again, who couldn't afford to pay his own bail. He was released on November 16th. The same day, he appeared before another Waukesha County Court Commissioner for non-payment of child support. The prosecutors for that case demanded that Daryl be immediately jailed. But instead, the issue was stayed and Daryl was released on his own reconnaissance. He didn't even have to pay a penny this time. 
That was a mere five days before the Christmas parade. On the day of the parade, police were called to the vicinity of White Rock School because of a domestic disturbance around 4.35 p.m. The parade had started about 30 minutes before, and floats and performers were already in full swing along the first couple of streets of the parade's route, with many more waiting their turn in the staging area just a few blocks away from the disturbance call. The domestic disturbance was between Erica and Errol. It was an argument that had started the day before, over Erica not bailing him out, and $300 cash that Daryl claimed that Erica was holding for him. And I gotta put in a disclaimer here, because even since the trial, there have been a lot of different versions of what happened during this fight come out from everybody involved. But either way, he was upset that the woman that he ran over did not pay for his bail to get him out. Yes, that was the gist of his argument. Mm. On the 21st, Daryl and Erica had begun arguing in Daryl's mom's red SUV when he struck her left eye with the back of his hand. She got out of the vehicle and started to walk away while calling her friend Corey for help. Daryl, not wanting to give up on this argument, followed her in the SUV, arguing with her as she tried to walk away. When Corey arrived with another friend, Nick, a bigger altercation broke out between Daryl and Corey, and he hit her as well. Nick then called the police and lied and said that Daryl was threatening them with a knife. He lied about this because he felt like it would get the police there faster. Yeah, he knew how dangerous this man was. Mm -hmm. Wanting to avoid yet another arrest and a violent charge, Daryl fled the scene and started to race down the streets of Waukesha, driving erratically. Driving the wrong way on a one-way street, narrowly missing other cars, all the time blaming the other drivers on the road. That's when Daryl drove past a police officer and a barricade and out onto the parade route. It is impossible to speak of all the victims in this case because there were so many. Daryl would face 76 charges for his actions that day. And it was only 76 because the state had to put a limit on the number of victims and define which cases they were going to prosecute. That doesn't mean that there weren't more people harmed, but they just had to put a limit on it. Wisconsin, what are you guys doing over there? It literally would take too long to put a thousand charges and prove every one of those charges. The limit they imposed was if somebody had sought medical treatment. Those are the cases they pursued. Okay. That's how they ended up with 60 plus victims plus six deaths. The amount of people that were harmed beyond that were countless. It was estimated that there were 5,000 people at the parade that day. Hundreds were physically injured. And thousands were mentally and emotionally injured that day. Oh, yeah. And so that's why they just had to put a limit on, okay, these are the counts that we're going to go for. Today, I'm going to walk you through just a little of what happened because there is no way to capture every victim's story. But I hope I do justice for the ones that I touch on because I think it's so important that we recognize the impact that Daryl Brooks had. Remember, this was a day of excitement for the community. People had started to gather hours before to get the best seats along the downtown streets to view the festivities that had been cancelled the previous year. At approximately 4.35pm, a detective with the Waukesha Police Department heard on his radio about the disturbance near White Rock School, and it was only moments after that that he began to hear a horn and saw a red Ford Escape driving southbound on White Rock Avenue. He could see people moving to get out of the way of the vehicle. As the vehicle came towards him on East Street, He stepped in front of it and pounded on the hood of the vehicle and yelled multiple times, stop, making it clear to Daryl what he wanted him to do. So Daryl was driving slow enough that he could actually pound on the hood. Yeah, this time he's driving pretty slow. Okay. 
but the detective made it very clear to Darrow what he wanted him to do. His shirt and his hat clearly identified him as a police officer and someone that Daryl should have listened to. But Daryl just kept going. He wasn't driving incredibly fast at this point in time, but as he hit the detective's body, it rolled down along the side of the car, bringing the officer face-to-face with the driver's side window, where he got a good look at Daryl in the driver's seat. Again, the detective pounded on the car, yelling, Stop! Daryl ignored him and drove past, and like so many times before in his life, he escalated, stepping on the acceleration a little more, heading westbound on East Main Street. The detective radioed to warn others, but it wouldn't do much good. The sidewalks were crowded with spectators, and the streets were taken up with parade participants. After passing three more officers, who each yelled out to him and tried to get him to stop, Daryl hit the first victim, Nicole White. After he hit her, He didn't stop to check and see if she was okay. He didn't even acknowledge that he had hit anyone. Right after passing the Remax float, he ran into the back of the Waukesha South Band, marching in the center of the street. He went right through them, seriously injuring 10 children. Video shot from above captured the vehicle hitting and tossing musicians in their Santa hats every which way. The vehicle doesn't appear to slow, even as it leaves bodies in its wake. Between the next two intersections, he injured 26 more people one of them fatally. Driving through the Waukesha Blazers baseball team, Daryl hit Jackson Sparks. Jackson was eight years old, and he was actually the last to die from his injuries two days later in hospital. His older brother Tucker was also hit, but miraculously survived. This energetic third grader loved to play baseball and basketball when he wasn't doing things like fishing or catching frogs, the typical things that eight-year-old boys love to do. After driving through a Little League team, Daryl still drove through the Waukesha Extreme Dance team, all in the same section of road, plowing children down one after the other. The next section of road saw another fatality. Jane Coolidge was hit by the Red Ford Escape. Jane was 52 when she died and was described by her husband of 22 years as the rock that held their family together. She was a loving and kind person that shared her light with everyone she met. She had been walking with her co-workers with the Citizens Bank when Daryl ran her down. And Daryl was still not done. He hit three more people before coming to the Dancing Grannies. The Dancing Grannies were an institution when it came to the Waukesha Christmas Parade. The Sisterhood had been entertaining and bringing joy to others since 1984. They had posted on their Facebook page earlier that day, Waukesha, here we come, excited to kick off the holiday parade. In this group, Daryl hit seven people, killing four beautiful souls. Tamara Durand was only 52 when she was hit. She was described as a Ukrainian dynamo that embraced life. She was a teacher and a chaplain, a mother, a grandmother, and in one dramatic moment of her life in 2009, a hero, who had rescued a man from the Wisconsin River. She was the youngest and newest member of the Milwaukee Dancing Grannies and loved it. Willem Hospital, known as Billy, was 81 when he was hit by the SUV. He fought against his injuries long enough to be transported to the Aurora Summit, but sadly died in hospital. He had been helping the group of dancing grannies that day, walking alongside his wife of 61 years, Lola. Lola was also injured that day. Billy had worked hard as a steelworker and did carpentry work in his spare time. Many described the man born in Germany as the image of the American success story. Leanne Owen, known to everyone as Lee, was 71 when she was struck and killed. She had been a member of the Dancing Grannies for 12 years and had loved the troupe. 
this outgoing grandma had always been the one to care for everyone else. She rescued bulldogs and cared deeply for the tenants in the buildings that she managed and all of the members of her family. Virginia Swaronson, known to everyone as Ginny, was 79 and a retired nurse. Ginny was described as the heart of the group. Even with her bad back and hip, she loved to dance and was the instructor and choreographer. Her husband of 56 years said that she loved everything about the dancing grannies and had been dancing with them for 19 years. Her husband was there that day waiting at the end of the parade route. Ginny never made it. As Daryl drove through this group, never once did he let up or touch his brakes. He hit people with such velocity, traveling over 30 miles per hour, that he literally knocked people out of their own shoes. Witnesses said he actually made a zigzagging motion through this group, intent on hitting as many as possible. As screams and cries echoed through the air, Daryl continued his path of destruction through the last parade group that he would meet that day, the Catholic communities of Waukesha. In that group, he injured 19 more people before he turned the corner on West Main Street. This is where Officer Scholten was stationed. As the SUV broke through the barricade at the end of the parade route, he opened fire on Daryl, firing three shots trying to take down the threat. Those shots missed, and while some officers rushed to help victims, others rushed to capture Daryl. Melissa, he is an absolute monster. I don't know another word that could adequately even describe him. I just can't even imagine how he could go from hitting Nicole, his first victim. You could see, okay, maybe that one could be an accident, and then you stop. But he decided to zigzag and accelerate his speed to do as much damage as possible, having no regard for any of those people, any victim that he hurt. And like we have discussed in other cases, just thinking of one of those dancing grannies, the full life that they lived, the children that they had, the grandchildren that they had, being the matriarch of their homes, how many more victims were extended because of his despicable actions? It's so true. And I only touched on the victims that died. There were so many more that were injured or that watched in terror and live in terror now. Right. It is horrific. And all those family members too, like when you were talking about the dancing grannies or even the little dance team and the little league team, their parents had to have been close by or their grandchildren were watching them or their children or waiting for them at the end of the parade with joy and excitement and anticipation, having no idea the horror that was going to embark that day. You don't get much more evil than that. No. Daryl fled the scene and ditched the damaged SUV behind some houses and took off on foot, leaving his cell phone in the vehicle in his haste. He lost a sandal while hopping a fence and ditched his gray hoodie to alter his appearance. When he came across people in the street, he would ask if he could borrow their phones to call an Uber. He approached several residences along Central Ave, asking to use their phones, always reassuring people that he was not a threat when they seemed taken back by his appearance and his demeanor. One person said his eyes were just wild and he was all sweaty and he wasn't dressed appropriately for the weather. And so he was a shock when they saw him. Yeah, because they were looking into the face of evil. Mm -hmm. In an effort to prove that he wouldn't harm them, he would walk up to people with his shirt lifted up, saying, see, I don't have any weapons. At approximately 5 p.m., Daryl knocked on the door of 553 Elizabeth Street, and the resident Daniel opened the door to the supposedly homeless man. Being a good neighbor type, Daniel invited him in because it was clear that Daryl, now only wearing a t-shirt and not having any shoes, was not dressed for the cold weather. Daryl used this kind gentleman's phone to call, do you know who? His mommy. 
He did. He called his mom to arrange an Uber for him. Is she going to defend him in all of this? She does. After letting him in the house, Daniel gave Daryl a sandwich and offered to let him borrow his own coat. About 10 minutes later, Daniel started seeing police cars go by and started to get nervous. And so he asked Daryl to wait on the front porch for his ride and asked for his phone and his coat back. A few minutes later, Daryl returns to Daniel's front door and rings the bell again. He makes up some story about leaving his ID in the man's house and needing to look for it. Daryl was trying to avoid being spotted by the passing police cars that are now going up and down the road looking for him. Daniel, still feeling nervous, says he will check for the ID, but he doesn't let Daryl come back into his house. Good. It probably saved his life. Mm-hmm. Police were tipped off that Daryl was in this neighborhood by other people that he had approached. The police showed up at Daniel's residence at 512 and pushed Daryl on the grass and placed him in handcuffs. While in custody, Daryl claims that he was injured by the police when they handcuffed him. So, prior to his interrogation, he is taken to the hospital to get checked out. At the hospital, his blood alcohol level was tested, and the FBI comes in to interview him. While interviewing him, they don't give him a lot of information about their preliminary investigation or the actual charges that Daryl will face. And clearly, during this interview, Daryl finds this power struggle very unnerving. At this point in the investigation, the police don't know what selfish motive that Daryl had to do what he did. In the interview and in the interview the next day, they are intent on asking lines of questions about how he feels about social injustices or politics, trying to figure out his motives of why he would do this. This all happened during the Black Lives Matter movement, and Waukesha is a predominantly white community. In the past, Daryl's social media posts and rap videos had political undertones, and not-so-covert suggestions about police violence and oppression. And so they had originally thought that this is what had motivated him to drive through the parade. That it was racially spurred. Mm -hmm. Or that he was speaking out against a certain political party. They kept on questioning him over and over again about his political motives. Yeah, because how can you even begin to fathom the reasoning behind someone doing something as horrific as this? You would be grasping at trying to find some sort of rationale. Sadly, the reason why he drove through the parade that day, killing and injuring so many, didn't have any meaning behind it at all. No. Only that Darrow was a selfish dirtbag and only viewed the world from his perspective, that he was fleeing a situation where he wanted to avoid getting in trouble. He dealt with that emotionally charged situation in a pattern that he had learned, with escalating violence, never backing down, just like he had always done when other tactics had failed him. During the interviews, his personality disorders do start to become very apparent. He gives no inkling of even thinking about the horror he had just committed. He only wants to talk about how he is a good guy, and he constantly tries to steer the conversation to things he wants to talk about. He is concerned about letting his people know he's okay, and focuses only on the domestic disturbance, and acts dumb or denies any reference to driving or the parade. He tells officers lie after lie. But in those lies, he actually ends up revealing a lot. He does admit that he knew something was happening downtown that day. Almost as an aside, he mentions seeing extra stuff around the park and that there was a vibrant energy with lots of people. He repeatedly asks what the charges are because he doesn't want to say anything that will incriminate himself. When the police finally start to talk about injuries, because they don't actually tell him about the fatalities right away, they just talk about the reckless driving charges. 
Daryl's only concern is for himself. Of course it is. And how these charges are going to affect his life. He refuses to look at photos or video of the parade and refuses to acknowledge any consequences of his actions. Just like every other time in his life, his manipulation tactics can be seen during the interview. At first, he tries to garner sympathy from the officers about his shoulder hurting and not being able to move it properly. His shoulder injury is soon forgotten as he uses his arm later in the interview to make big arm motions and emphasize other parts of his story. His hurt shoulder only returns when he starts to clue in that the police are not believing his story. What a manipulator. Yeah. He goes from grabbing his arm and keeling over and being like, something's not right. There's something wrong with it. And, oh, I can't move and I'm in so much pain. I'm crying. To within 10 minutes, he's literally waving it around, making his arms big and trying to intimidate them with his presence of how big he is. Right. And he's already been checked out by health officials, by the doctors. Yeah. And they've told him that nothing is broken. Nothing is wrong. Meanwhile, there are people laying in the hospital with severe injuries and dying because of his actions. Mm -hmm. And he's crying about his little shoulder that doesn't even hurt. Yes. Disgusting. It is. At points, his behavior escalates and he tries to intimidate the officers. But he soon realizes that that's not going to fly with them. So he moves on to another tactic. He blames Erica, saying that if she had never lied about their previous altercation, None of this would have happened. Oh, yeah, no. Mm -mm. You did it, not Erica. And I 100% believe that he would have eventually killed Erica. I think so. It is clear from this interview that he is a pathological liar. He doesn't even know when he's lying anymore and honestly looks like he's believing his own lies. He tells the police, quote, I'm not a bad guy. I just have problems with my baby mama. Seems like I just can't get a break. Yeah, I just can't stop smacking her around and being a total dirtbag. Well, his behavior tells me that he got one too many breaks. And that's why he's been allowed to develop this self-important personality that thinks he's more important than anybody else and doesn't have to consider anybody else. Oh, 100% he believes that. Daryl tries to elicit more sympathy because the officers make it look like that tactic is working with them. <laughs> so they use it against him. He talks about his past and tries to convince them that he was raised right and that he is a good guy, but that he's faced so much that he might as well just give up. So they're using the tactic of stroking his ego to get him to feel comfortable to open up. Yes. Smart. Mm -hmm. He tells them, if I go to prison, that's it for me. It's over for me. If I have to sit in jail, my life is over. Again, it's all about him. There is not any mention made of the six people's lives he actually took. Not to mention any of the other hundreds of victims he created that day. Not a single expression of guilt or remorse. Not even a single thought to those that were injured. It's all about his story ending. And that speaks volumes. Mm -hmm. At the end of the interview, a patrol officer calls him out for a comment he made about how he takes responsibility for his actions. Huh. This patrol officer, he was just called into the room to kind of oversee him as the other detectives are discussing things out in the hall. And he just can't even handle him. He's like, you say you take responsibility for your actions? Let's see it. Yeah, exactly. Totally calls him out on it. And Daryl just ignores him. Yeah, he won't even take responsibility for his children, let alone his own actions. No. When Daryl's left alone in the room, he removes the photos of the parade route that the police had left scattered on the table. And he tucks them away so he doesn't have to look at them. 
What is it do you think was bothering him about it? Because if he's feeling zero remorse, why does he care about those pictures? I think he does feel shame, but he has learned to mask that shame and those strong emotions by covering them up with even bigger emotions and by the way that he behaves. So he's putting on a front by saying, I don't care, like not showing any remorse or asking about the aftermath. I think so. Okay. Because him having to tuck away those pictures shows me that they bother him. Yeah, that is a surprising behavior for Mm -hmm. him to me anyways. Yeah. And when the detective is in his face, he's pulled up a video of him driving through the parade. He's got his phone and he's trying to show it to him. And Daryl is looking anywhere but. Hmm. On November 23rd, 2021, a criminal complaint was entered for the first five victims. At the time of the filing, courageous little Jackson Sparks was still fighting for his life. His death would be added to the charges later. Police investigated the scene and the vehicle to try and get answers about what had happened that day. The crime scene was so large that they needed drone footage to capture the whole picture. Whole city blocks were taped off. There were thousands of witnesses to be interviewed and mountains of CCTV footage and private video footage to go through. The Ford Escape was gone over with a fine-tooth comb, and nothing mechanically wrong was ever found. Daryl had always had the ability to stop. It all just came back to Daryl. His ill-adaptive coping mechanisms led to developing deplorable behaviors and a sense of self-importance that allowed him to ignore others, their safety, and their lives. Oh, he was a complete narcissist. Mm -hmm. And to prove that, he decides that he's going to represent himself at trial. Oh, of course he is. Mm -hmm. Because who could do it better than Daryl? That's right. Just prior to his trial starting, his mom, Dawn, wrote a letter to the judge that was published in the paper. Daryl had just made the decision that he would represent himself during trial. Dawn was asking the judge not to let this happen, saying, quote, I can see the storm coming. About her son's behavior, she talks about things that she's seen him do in the past, saying, quote, shouting, acting out, it's throwing chairs, it's destroying things, it's all of the above. It's like someone setting off a time bomb. Dawn said that she had been trying to defuse this time bomb for over 40 years and was angry that the judge was going to allow him to represent himself. I'm not really sure how I feel about his mom's appeal to the judge. Part of me thinks that this was all just a big ruse. Because behind the scenes, she was still enabling her son to prepare for his trial. She was gathering evidence that he could use about a vehicle recall and collecting photos of Erica that he could then present at court. I think like every other time in her life, she was enabling him, just like she allowed him to drive her vehicle that day. She did not care about justice at all. She cared about protecting her son. She knew that he would not have a good chance if he represented himself. So she wanted to make sure that he had the best defense so he could come home for dinner. Yeah. I honestly do not understand her actions. I would like to give her the benefit of the doubt and say her motherly instinct was to protect her child. But maybe she too had an issue with admitting her own responsibility in everything that had happened. Especially now, because knowing that you've gone to bat for your son, you've gotten him out of jail how many times? She paid the bail to get him out this time. Oh my goodness, how can you not feel any iota of responsibility as to what just happened? One of Daryl's ex-partners does say that his mom expressed remorse, but I have a hard time believing it. When you have remorse, you're not paying his bail to get out and you're not trying to blame Erica, the victim. You're not looking for a loophole with the manufacturer of the vehicle to try and get your son off. That's what those things speak to me. 
that you're not trying to get him the help that he needs. You just want to get him out of trouble. Mm -hmm. That's your first priority. What really didn't sit right with me, and I don't know if I would make the same choice or not, but she refused to be present for the trial, saying, quote, as his mother, I cannot sit there and watch those people just rip him to shreds. What? Rip him to shreds. If it were me, I would have a hard time sitting there to see the pain and suffering that my child caused. Yeah. Not worrying about, oh, they're going to rip him to shreds and I just can't handle that. How dare they? Her poor baby. Oh, that does not sit well with me. Yeah. The judge did have four different psychological reports in her hand that declared him competent. So she defended her decision to allow him to represent himself. The four psychologists conducted assessments on Daryl and all agreed that he suffered from an antisocial personality disorder and was a disruptive individual, but that he was intelligent and articulate enough to defend himself. Daryl had previously tried to plead insanity, but withdrew that plea shortly before asking to represent himself. I was just going to say, you can't say you're insane and that's why you did these things, but then also say you're competent enough. So that's why he withdrew that plea. Not allowing him to defend himself could open the grounds for an appeal. So could allowing him to defend himself. It was a catch-22 for the judge. Many believe that the main reason why Daryl wanted to represent himself in the first place was because there would be more chances to create disorder and grounds for appeals in the future. And his past has taught him that, well, if I intimidate and I use all these different tactics, I'm going to get out of it. So he probably deep down felt like, oh, I can get myself out of this because I've done it a hundred times before. Oh, I'm sure that's how he felt. And if you watch the trial, every single one of his tactics is very plain to see on how he tries to intimidate the judge and how he tries to talk circles around her and blame other people and convolute his arguments so that it's confusing to even follow the direction of them. And what he's not realizing is this is not their first rodeo. This judge is not going to be bamboozled by the things that you say. This is not a 15-year-old girl that you're abusing. Or his family members that have this emotional guilt when it comes to him. His trial began on October 6, 2022. The prosecution did a great job of efficiently laying out the case against Daryl. There were mountains of evidence against him. There was so much video footage of the path of destruction that day that relatively few witnesses had to be called to testify because everybody had their phones out. Everybody was recording. They collected it all. He's on Main Street in front of a whole bunch of stores that all had CCTV footage. And it's a Christmas parade. Everybody there is recording or taking pictures of the parade. Exactly. So they didn't have to call very many witnesses to recall what had happened or to tell their version of what they saw because they had it all on video. And it's really unbelievable how much manpower would have had to go into this case for the prosecution. Like you said, hours of video and witness statements and things like that, that they would have had to compile to bring this case to justice. It was huge. And that's why they had to put a limit on which cases they were going to bring up at trial. Right. They could have charged him with so many more counts. During the closing argument, the main prosecutor made a statement to that effect, saying to charge him with reckless endangerment didn't need an injury. But with the more victims that you have, the more chances of a mistrial. And so they were pretty smart in what they did. Right. The trial was drawn out because of Daryl's behavior. He deliberately tried to delay and interfere with the progression of justice at every chance he got. Not only was he disrespectful, but he didn't have any clue about what he really was doing. 
He made a mockery of the court system as he made claims of being a sovereign citizen and the court being under military rule because the flags in the courtroom had a gold fringe. Repeatedly, he demanded to know what authority the judge even had to judge him, and he refused to be called by his legal name. On and on, his disruptions went. What did he want to be called? Math boy fly? (laughs) That's right. Or he did have one other alias of Quinton. Oh. But given his past, none of this is a huge surprise to me. During the trial, the comments about his behavior had me thinking, yeah, it all goes along with a personality disorder that the psychologist had previously identified him to have. And all of this is exactly how he behaved all of his life. Mm -hmm. He was just trying to use the same manipulation tactics that had worked for him in the past. Why is it a big surprise that he was behaving this way? This is what he had always done, and it had always worked for him. He had gone unchecked by his mom, he had gone unchecked in any of his relationships, and he had gone unchecked by past interactions with the judicial system. Why was it a shock that he only made thinly veiled self-serving statements of regret? For his whole life, his personality disorders had cultivated and groomed him to see the world from only his skewed perception. On October 26, after deliberating for less than three hours, the jury found Daryl guilty of six counts of first-degree intentional homicide for killing Virginia Swaronson, Leanna Owen, Jane Coolidge, Willem Hospel, Tamara Durand, and Jackson Sparks. He was also convicted of 61 counts of first-degree reckless endangering safety for the victims hurt in the parade attack. The jury also found him guilty of six counts of hit-and-run, hit-and-run involving death, two counts of felony bail jumping, and one count of battery domestic abuse. The only attempt at remorse that Daryl gave was during his sentencing hearing. He said, quote, I want you to know that not only am I sorry for what happened, I'm sorry that you could not see what is truly in my heart, that you cannot see the remorse that I have. That is the statement he made only one day after scoffing and rolling his eyes at victims of the parade as they shared their experiences during their own victim impact statements. Yeah, I'm not buying it. And again, that statement is about him. Exactly. It has nothing to do with the victim. It's about him. No, it's about how people are perceiving him. Yeah. Oh, this case, Melissa. On November 16th, Judge Darrow, at times fighting back tears as she recounted the atrocities of the case, sentenced Darrow to six life sentences without the possibility of parole and 17.5 years for each of the 61 charges of first-degree reckless endangering safety with the use of a deadly weapon, his vehicle. Good. That, along with the sentences for his other charges, added up to 1,067 years in prison. I wish he could live long enough to have to spend that many days there. He was also fined $171,000 in restitution to be paid out of whatever money he earned in prison, and that amount later grew to $520,000. While reading the sentence, the judge made the statement that she felt she needed to hold him accountable in a, quote, very real and tangible way. While she knew that there was no way he was going to serve that many years in prison, she just needed it to be put on paper. Oh, yeah, so that there was... No chance of him getting out. Mm -hmm. Finally, the dirtbag had somebody throw the book at him. The courtroom gallery applauded as the sentence was read. Yeah. During the sentencing, Judge Darrow did say that she did not believe that Darrow was mentally ill and that he only had a personality disorder, saying, quote, It is my opinion that mental health issues did not cause him to do what he did on November 21st, 2021. 
and frankly didn't play a role. It is very clear to me that he understands the difference between right and wrong, and he simply chooses to ignore his conscience. He is fueled by anger and rage. I can totally see where that judge is coming from. He absolutely knew what he was doing wrong, or he wouldn't have fled the scene. He wouldn't have taken off his sweater. He wouldn't have tried to hide and evade the police. Yes. But at the same time, my heart sank a little bit when I heard this statement. The judge in this case was incredible. The amount of control that she possessed not to just lose it on him speaks to her abilities to manage herself. And I think it emphasizes what Daryl couldn't do. With that statement, I feel that she negated that Daryl Brooks's personality disorder did factor into his decision-making skills. What is sad to me is that past courts had failed to see this exact same thing. They failed to see the severity of his behavior, which was driven by his personality disorders, and they repeatedly made inappropriate estimations about the threat he presented to society. This is blatantly clear in the bail and bond amounts and the sentences he received. Daryl's personality disorders were known and yet not accounted for. There has to be a way to account for mental health disorders when the court is considering someone's release or the bail that is set for them. And until that happens, I think we'll continue to see cases like this where tragically people get hurt. And that doesn't mean for one second I'm excusing his behavior, because I'm not. What he did was awful. But I think that there were several times in the course of his life that the law could have intervened and recognized his lack of skill to deal with his personality disorders. An intervention could have positively affected his coping skills and his mechanisms. There's a reason why Daryl couldn't provide anybody with a reason why he barreled through those people. And I think it's because he didn't understand it himself. I feel like in this case, there are so many people that recognize that he had a personality disorder, and yet they didn't fully connect how it was affecting his lifestyle and his choices. Had someone made the connection, then maybe they wouldn't have been so quick to release him from all of his other violent offenses. He was not an individual that was going to learn like the majority of the population because of his personality disorders. Had judges from previous offenses taken his personality traits into account, they maybe would have been able to predict that reform was low and repeat violence probable. In fact, this is exactly the information that the judge had when they sentenced him the previous year. But they chose to ignore that information, something that in the aftermath of this case, many judges admitted to ignoring. They had his mental health history in their hands, and yet they discounted it. This is a case that I've been researching since watching the trial last year, and there have been so many times that I've felt like we are just not getting it. One of the saddest parts in this case is that Daryl should have never been on the streets that day. It should have been recognized that he did not have the ability to manage his personality disorders so that he could make good decisions. That's what makes this case so frustrating for me. Six people didn't have to die. Hundreds didn't have to be injured because that information was known. It was just ignored. This wasn't one of those cases where somebody just flew off the handle. It wasn't unpredictable. Daryl's behavior leading up to this point was a roadmap to what he did. He had repeatedly used his vehicle to attack people. He had consistently shown that he was not capable of controlling his actions when he was triggered. He 100% knew his actions were wrong, but his learned behavior pattern was to escalate, and that's why he drove faster. That was the pattern that could have been taught differently a number of times in his past. Had someone recognized his need to learn to put the brakes on his behavior, things might have been different. Instead, his behaviors were just reinforced over and over again. I agree with a lot of the things that you just said. I feel like his personality disorder was not an excuse. It doesn't give him a free 
ticket out of responsibility of what he did because he did know that it was wrong and chose to do it anyways. He knew that running into somebody with a car at a high speed could kill them. He knew that. And I also agree that he shouldn't have been allowed to escalate to this. If he could not manage his personality disorder, to me, that makes him an even more dangerous criminal who there's even more urgency to not allow him on the street until that's underhand, if it ever can be. So I believe that he should have been rather put in treatment or he should have been locked up. Sorry, you can't be a part of society because a lot of people have personality disorders and they don't go mowing down people in a parade. They don't beat everybody that comes into their life. They don't do these horrific things. Exactly. People can be sociopaths and psychopaths and they can have borderline personality disorder and all of these things and have successful lives. So there's a fine line there. There is a very fine line. But I think that Daryl's behavior very clearly shows that he was escalating in the wrong direction. Oh, he absolutely was. He never should have been given bail after bail let out over and over and over again. Because how could they expect any different behavior out of him? Exactly. And the other thing is, is they were aware of it. As much as the judicial system was aware of it, Daryl was aware of it. His mother was aware of it. They were all aware of it. So they could have sought out help. If you know you have this issue and you choose not to treat it, you're responsible for the actions that that disorder is going to cause you to do. Absolutely. His mother bailed him out after driving over a human being and then let him take her car. Right. There were so many times that his behavior could have been checked, but I feel like it was because nobody was making the connection that he was not making responsible decisions. Right. But we're not saying that he's not responsible for his actions. That's right. He still was responsible for the decisions that he made because he was intelligent enough to know that those were not okay thought processes. Exactly. But his behavior had been reinforced to the point where he thought that that was okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Because he always got bailed out and he always just got a little slap on the wrist. So I feel like there is a bit of responsibility on everyone that was involved that kept allowing him back on the street to do it over and over again. Because they all knew. Everybody knew. Some reform does need to be made. Just such a senseless tragedy that could have been avoided. And that's what's so frustrating. It's so true. Immediately after his trial, he filed a notice of intent for post-conviction relief on November 30th, 2022, proving that he or his problem isn't going anywhere. He is currently incarcerated at the Dodge Correctional Facility. And that is the case of the narcissistic, self-serving dirtbag, Daryl Edward Brooks Jr., who blamed everyone else for his own lack of control and was so wrapped up in himself that he could not pump the brakes when he drove into the middle of a parade killing six people and the spirit of Christmas for the whole city. I feel like this case has so many victims, as well as people that played a part in what eventually happened. Yeah, it has such far-reaching effects. Mm -hmm. And the effects are still being felt in Waukesha. Oh, they will forever. Those families, everybody who was in attendance at that parade will forever be affected. Everything that you talked about is important for us to take a look at as a society so we can hopefully eventually prevent more tragedies like this from happening. And we're not sitting after the fact saying this could have been prevented. Because that's the real tragedy in this case. It is. For us to be sitting here talking about it after the fact, it's almost mind-numbing to believe that they could look at all of these reports and not see something like this coming. Yeah. This case is really a Christmas tragedy, and that is also what I'm going to be bringing you next week. 
We hope you'll join us for that one as well. Until then, see ya. Bye. Have you seen any of the trial? No. Oh, it is crazy. At one point, he builds a fort around himself with his Kate's boxes. Oh, my goodness. Did Uh, you watch the full trial? Yeah. 180 hours? (laughs) Yes. But I've been watching it since last Christmas because it was on during the Depp Heard case. And my kids love the Depp Heard case. But I was like, check out this. He is crazy. So it's like a mini series that you've been watching for the whole year. And then I just keep finding other nuggets of details of what he's doing. And well, you can see how people can get so into a case like this where they can write a book about it. And I still don't feel like I know all of the information. Wow. Okay. But I have to say, I am sitting here loving watching you talk with your hands. I know. You never talk with your hands. This, I told you, this case is like, (laughs) this is what's happening. (laughs) See, it was on Do Not Disturb. Why? Why did I put such hard words all together? His existing resisting arrest. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's on you. There he kind of faced up to his current resisting arrest. Excited to kick off. This is sad. It's all the grandmas. I know. I'm picturing my grandma. Yeah. Because she was in stuff like that. It's so sad. The same manipulation. Manipulation. Oh, I like that. (laughs) You give him a lash in with your manipulation. That's a new word. I like it. Obviously, I was rambling last night. (laughs) Your face. Well, I'm trying to understand what I (laughs) Obviously, I wrote this at like one o'clock last night. Here, here's what I wrote. The magnitude of his crime speaks to the magnitude of the problem that has to be addressed or coincides with the magnitude of problems. The magnitude of the problem that has to be addressed. How many times can you say magnitude of the problem (laughs) in one sentence? Three, apparently. Uh, That's right. (laughs) Hey, we're live, pal. And we'd love for you to come check out our podcast, Tales from the Estate. Each week, we talk about our top five favorite somethings. My beautiful wife, Caitlin, likes to share all sorts of random facts. Yeah. Did you know that cows have accents? We did now, but we also review all sorts of snacks and other great things. And so if you love everything random, I think you'd enjoy Tales from the Estate. So come check us out. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Bye. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.